Welcome to episode three of the Pitbox podcast. My name is John Satori. Wow, what a race we had. It was shaping up to be a right old ball fest, but if having a unique podium for the first time in years wasn't enough, there were plenty of talking points from the weekend's race. A safety car, red flag, two race starts, Hamilton penalty, disastrous Ferrari home race, the end of party modes as well, and it ended with an emotional farewell of the last family-owned team in F1, the legendary Williams. We're going to take a look at all that, plus looking back to the 2003 season, the tyre drama from that year, and looking ahead to Mugello, a circuit that F1's got very little data on. In fact, the only team who will have data are the ones who at this stage probably need it the most, Ferrari. But will it make a difference? This is the Pitbox Podcast. And of course, we move on to the Tuscan Grand Prix. First time that F1 has ever been race-wise at Mugello in the Tuscan Hills. It's going to be a rather interesting weekend. Uh, I think the only team that have run an F1 car here, certainly the last 10, 15, 20 years, is Ferrari. I'm not sure if you've YouTubed um, uh, that, but uh, you, there is a, a lap. I think it's Marc Genet in a Ferrari from a few years ago now um, doing a, an onboard lap. It's um, it's fantastic to see. It's, it looks like it's going to be an absolutely cracking lap. The drivers will absolutely love this. There's elevation changes. Uh, there's narrow parts of the track, bumps and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, 15 corners make it up. So 5.2 kilometres long is the uh, whole of the uh, the lap. There's some really interesting parts. I think the double right-hander, the Arubiata corners, two quickest corners on the track, you're probably going to be taken flat out um, around 260, 270 kilometres per hour. Uh, obviously, this is normally a MotoGP circuit, um, and uh, Pirelli don't have any data on this really at all. The unofficial record at the moment here held by Rubens Barrichello, uh, that was from 2004 in a Ferrari. It's a 118.7. I get the feeling that we're probably going to be past that record-wise once we get to the end of the weekend. And it's fact that this is a, going to be the first time that fans will be admitted to a Grand Prix weekend as well. 3,000 spectators will be uh, allowed at this Grand Prix, which is great. But uh, Pirelli is saying the tyre stress here will be quite high. In fact, the highest that they uh, uh, that you can experience on a racetrack. Lateral load also, probably a fair bit of uh, thermal deg too because uh, Tuscan Hills and this time of the year in Italy, it'll be rather warm. They've gone with the three hardest spec tyres that they can bring from their range of five. So we've got the C1, 2 and 3 here. And I suppose that is just to make sure that they don't have any data. They'd be foolish to to go soft, wouldn't they? And certainly go all the way to the uh, to the C3, uh, 4 and 5. So C1, 2 and 3 makes complete sense until they can get some data on the track. But uh, yeah, going to be interesting. Not two 90-minute sessions on the Friday, and then we've got, <clears throat> pardon me, just the one uh, Saturday free practice session as per normal, 60 minutes there, and then into qualifying and the race on Sunday. Technical layout here. There's some great parts to it. As I say, the Arabiata corners, I think, for mine, are going to be fantastic to watch the double right-hander. Uh, we've got Turkey coming up later on, which is obviously a quadruple apex left-hander. So it sort of reminds me a little bit of that in half, but that is going to be fantastic to see those cars going through the double Arabiata. But um, uh, the, the question I ask, and, and, and only after watching that YouTube video of, as I say, I think it's Mark Genet in the, in the uh, Ferrari going around there, is whether or not we're going to see much overtaking. 
That's my real concern. The drivers, I think, are going to be huge fans of this, looking at the track layout in front of me at the moment. There's no slow speed corners here, really. They're all medium to high. I mean, that's going to suit teams like McLaren, uh, Renault as well. Of course, Mercedes will be fast as always. But uh, uh, McLaren, once again, I think should be pretty pacey here. And Red Bull, they've got their work cut out for them once again this weekend. Uh, but um, the, I, I don't see any big braking moments here where you're going to be able to, you know, do a Daniel Ricciardo and, you know, throw it up the inside uh, to, you know, to, to outbreak anybody. I just don't see where that's going to happen. It just flows too nicely. And that may work very well for MotoGP, but I'm not convinced. I could be wrong. It may end up being a fantastic race, um, maybe lots of overtakings, overtakes rather, um, but... I, I just don't uh, see it at the moment when I look at that layout. But anyway, I'll be happily proved wrong um, come Sunday afternoon. But, um, you know, it's good to see F1 trying new circuits. I mean, we had to do it, didn't we? To, you know, to be able to make a decent season, to keep the broadcasters happy, to keep the fans happy. I think this is great to be able to do this. Um, you know, Turkey has come back on. Obviously, Imola has come back on as well. And the Nürburgring. I mean, Imola 2006 was the last time we were there. And I remember that being, you know, the last time uh, I was there with uh, with Williams in 2006. And it is a fantastic venue, Imola. And I remember a funny story of going to a restaurant and uh, with my engineer, and he really wanted um, meatballs. Italian meatballs is all he wanted. And, of course, there was the, the language barrier. Um, you know, and you're sort of doing all the gesticulations as to, you know, when one meatballs in this Italian waiter didn't sort of really quite know what we're wanting. Ah, meatball, no, you know, meatball. I was like quite happy with the lasagna, to be very honest. But uh, Rob wanted meatballs. So we're five minutes backwards and forwards trying to, uh, you know, d- describe and translate that we wanted spaghetti meatballs. And eventually this waiter, you know, the idea pops in his head, ah, meatballs. Yeah, yeah, meatballs. And we're going, yes, yes, fantastic. He wants meatballs. Do you have them? No. Um, so anyway, there we go. That's uh that's my my final memory of uh of um Imola. But it, it's a great circuit. And um a lot of fun. We uh, we always enjoyed going to uh going to Imola and uh, it's great to have that one back on the calendar. Of course, uh, the other races that have come uh, and have been confirmed now are um, the two, uh, three at the final, at the end of the year, the final one being at Abu Dhabi, uh, two at uh, Bahrain. And of course, one of those is going to be on that Monza spec layout that we uh, spoke about last weekend, 55-second uh, lap, just nine corners on that one. That is going to be interesting. And under lights as well, um, it's uh, practically IndyCar, isn't it? So that uh, that's going to be really interesting. So there's really some good races coming up, considering that you know we at what when we were in sort of May or June, thinking we may not even have a season. The fact that we've got as many as we have already, and that you know the the amount that we've got planned for the rest of the season, it's going to be what was I think it was a 17 race season, uh, is absolutely brilliant by all those in charge. Um, the only thing I don't agree with when it comes to those in charge is the uh, the recent. Um, announcement that they're going to look at this reverse grid situation. Really don't know if that's a good idea. Uh, I know on the back of what happened at Monza where, you know, the the grid was all mixed up after the, the second restart on the grid. And I think it was great to see the cars back on the grid. I don't agree with, and that was the other thing I was going to talk about was the Lando Norris comment about uh, the free pit stop. Um, I, I just don't think the mixed up grid, or sorry, a reverse grid, even a, I mean, a sprint race plan, it's not a bad idea. I think, it, you know, a shorter race, but um, only if it provides, you know, um, 
not just good racing, but it's got to be sort of authentic racing for mine. So a reverse grid just doesn't really work for me. And uh, the final thing is uh, the free pit stop that Lando Norris was talking about. Uh, I can't remember whether he put it in a tweet or he was uh, he just mentioned it in one of the post-race interviews uh, at the circuit. But uh, the fact that some drivers got a free pit stop, the likes of Pierre Gasly, who obviously got um, a, a you know a fresh set of tyres, he'd come in early uh, for a pit stop prior to the even the first uh, the first safety car, didn't he? Um, when uh, Magnussen went off, so. Now, the fact that he was able to get that and then came in for the red flag, sat at the front of the field, and of course, you know, good luck to him. He gets to go to the front of the field. That's the advantage of, of, of him pitting at the time that he did and then just lucking in on the timing of the safety car. But he he went and put a set of hard compounds on and was no doubt going to be running from what it was lap 19 at that point through to the checkered flag on the set of hards. Uh, and he'd been, as I said earlier, been brought in to sort of keep out of the way of Danny Kvyat, who was running longer at that point on a set of hards off the line and was doing you know, quite decently well. Um, but uh, then Kvyat, uh, sorry, then uh, Gasly got a fresh set of mediums to run from lap 26 through to the checkered flag. And there was no penalty for that time-wise. He got free pit stop. But, you know, as did Lance Stroll. Free pit stop for him as well. No 24 seconds. So for mine, I I, I understand. And, and Matt uh, Summerfield, who, who writes great stuff, and I love reading Matt's stuff. It makes sense to me. And I'd, uh, and, and in, in uh, on Twitter, he actually replied and said, look, yeah, this is a relic of the rules from years ago uh, to deal with changeable conditions, switching from wet and dry tires, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, and that, and I mean, the other point that he made, he said, but, you know, it's, it's sort of the same. There's always a sort of advantage and a disadvantage to someone with virtual safety cars and safety cars, which, yeah, I do get. But the, the thing is that, you know, virtual safety cars and safety cars, you're still serving a time penalty, even if you pit under the virtual safety car. Okay, it's halved. The, the pit stop loss for you is halved rather than being 24 seconds. The pit stop loss for you is, is maybe 12 seconds. Um, and then under a safety car, well, it depends on when you pit. But, you know, there's, there's obviously a, something to be gained there. But you're still having to stop. You're still having to go into the pit lane. You bring the team element into that, so there could be a mess up. You know, otherwise it's just a free pit stop, um, and and that's what I don't agree with. And I think okay, it's never been sort of really um, revealed until now, but now that it has been revealed, I think the FIA should probably review that between seasons and say right, if it's a wet race, fine. You're going to go from dry tires to wet wet tires. You get a free pit stop when you're sitting in the pit lane and in red flag conditions. Fine, but if it's not, then you've got to either you know the the, the option for mine is that you either um, continue on and you will then have race position because if you haven't pitted and other people have and we have that red flag situation, you're going to have track position. That's worth a lot. You know, teams talk about that in strategy meetings all the time about, you know, yeah, we're going to stay out because we have track position. So you stay out with the current tyres that you've got on, or you can have fresh tyres on the restart, but then you've got to take some sort of time penalty. And do you say, right, the full time penalty of, you know, what the pit stop loss is, 24 seconds, 23 seconds, 22 seconds, whatever it is, depending on the circuit, or even maybe half of that in virtual safety car, you're sort of round about half time pit stop loss. Uh, wise, so maybe at least 12 seconds. So the last sort of competitive lap or timed lap before we got the red flag, then everybody, where they were at that point, you take 12 seconds off and say, right, when we reset on the grid, you know, you're starting from that position, da, 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 and that's the, way we, that's the way we go, and we do it that way. I just think that would be fairer, because otherwise, 
as I say, someone hasn't had a, a pit stop loss at all, and that was Lance Stroll. Um, and if you take 24 seconds off his time, he's certainly not going to be finishing in the top three. And uh, and and also, would would signs have caught up with Gasly on you know old uh, old hard compound tires that he'd had on since lap 19 that were now seven laps old? And okay, there wasn't much of a difference in the deg on those uh, hard tires to the mediums, and also the time difference was depending on which car, but it was three to four tenths of a second. So the hards were still pretty competitive, but the best race tire was the medium this year. Uh, and in difference to last year, where everybody started, certainly in the top 10, uh, where it started on whether it was mediums, I think the top three started on mediums and the rest of the top 10 started on, on softs. But they all then pretty much, to a man, I think, from memory, went across to the hard compound tyre. That was different this year. Everybody was going across to the mediums. Um, so that medium compound tyre was the best race tyre. And so Gasly got to swap off the sort of the worst race tyre, well, sorry, second worst race tyre, the soft compound's always going to be the worst. Um, and, and he then went across to the best one. And it didn't cost him any time at all. And he then had fresh tires on um, and away he went. So, you know, I, I, I just don't think um, that's quite fair. So I agree with Lando Norris. And I think that that regulation should be changed. So we're going to step back to 2003. Uh, my memories of what happened with the the big tire issue of that year, Bridgestone versus Michelin. It was the, uh, the years that, Ferrari were at their peak power, so was Michael Schumacher. He was on a, a run of driver's titles, as were Ferrari, although that was to end at the end of 2004. But um, it was a, a great period of F1. And as I say, I, I, I was uh, two years at that point into F1, and I remember the uh, the big issue that happened, and it was around about this time of the year. It was at Monza that the, uh, the teams that were running the Michelin tyres were rather upset because... The FIA had decided to uh, close a loophole, if you like, on what happened uh, with the Michelin tyres and 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 how Michelin were getting a, a slight advantage over Bridgestone. Now, <clears throat> just to preface all this, uh, what you've got to remember is that uh, there were Bridgestone. Everybody was pretty much on Bridgestone tyres, and then uh, there were teams that weren't particularly happy with Bridgestone because they felt that they were working a little bit too closely with Ferrari, that the tyres were sort of made to their spec, allegedly. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. And uh, so you had the likes of uh, McLaren, Williams, and and Renault particularly who decided to step away. I think Jordan and Sauber stayed. Um, I think uh, I can't remember whether or not Jaguar, who were you know obviously, but this is before the days of Red Bull, whether Jaguar were Bridgestone or Michelin. I think in the end they were Michelin anyway. It makes no difference because they uh, they weren't really in the story. But um, certainly those uh, those three teams, Renault, uh, McLaren, and Williams, weren't too happy, and they decided to step away from Bridgestone and, and go with Michelin. And it was around about this time of 2003, so the Monza Grand Prix. And remember, there was in-season testing in those days. We had an in-season test in, in Monza. We had, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> we had a um, little frog in my throat. We had uh, in-season testing at Silverstone, at Monza, I think uh, maybe at Barcelona as well. Um, so those were the days of in-season testing. And it was at the Monza test prior to the Italian Grand Prix. And I remember being there and the kerfuffle that was going on that all the Michelin runners were madly trying to get data on new Michelin tyres that had to be developed by Michelin uh, with, what, three races to go we had in those days just remaining Monza, the USA and Japan. And um, those teams weren't particularly happy about it. Now, the crux of this is that uh, the FIA would measure the tyres and they had to be a certain width, which is fine. But it was the fact that they decided to change when they would measure the tyres for legality. 
And with Michelin, their tyres over time, and once they've been on the car and sort of towards the end of the race particularly, they would end up being a little bit wider, which gave them a little bit more grip. And of course, that made them, or those cars that had them, a little bit faster. And of course, the FIA decided to close, if you like, that loophole. And they then changed the time, I think, of the measurement so that the tyres the would be measured before they went on the car. Nope, that's no longer. It's now going to be after. And of course, the Michelin runners were saying, well, hold on, we've got three races to go in the season. And don't forget, this is, this, these are the days of Max Mosley. Uh, we've got three races left in the season. You know, this should be really done at the end of the season, shouldn't it? Um, anyway, it wasn't. And so at the Monza test of that year, all the Michelin runners, Michelin runners were frantically running and testing these new tyres. Um, they had to be, you know, obviously slightly redesigned or whatever it was that uh, had to occur to make them legal. And of course, the remaining three. And look, at that point, Williams, and you know, don't forget that the point system, you know, it was 10 points for a win, eight for second. So it wasn't like we have now with 25 points for a win, 18 for second. You know, the points were, were awarded differently and only down to six, but Williams were decently enough ahead in the championship at that point. And then, of course, the final three races, uh, they were nowhere. Um, and so I know, I just remember the feeling in the team at that point, there was a lot of people who were rather cheesed and ticked off that that change happened when it did in the middle of the season. Now, I suppose you look at it these days and say, well, okay, party mode, that's been banned mid-season and you know that wasn't a bad thing, was it? And of course, well, it depends. Ask Mercedes, they won't particularly care. I don't think it made any difference to them. But uh, Red Bull, you wonder whether or not the party mode uh, change has actually made a big difference to them because they, you know, they Max was on the third row of the grid and um, Albon even further back. But I, I think, you know, the, the, the problem for me with 2003 is that that's a redesign of, um, uh, you know, the, of the tyres. You know, it's it's a, that's a that's a big thing to actually ask a tire supplier to do. If you if they said to Pirelli, right, we need you to have new tires, different tires, within five weeks that do this, Pirelli wouldn't. I don't. I'm pretty sure wouldn't be particularly happy. So I think there's a big difference between you know changing the rules for party mode and changing the rules on how um, you know to redesign a tire. So I think it really should have just been kept the way it was, and then maybe between seasons you say, nope, right, we're going to now be um, you know, measuring these tyres for width prior to them going on the car. Um, sorry, we're going to, what am I saying? Gonna measure these tyres once they have finished and if they are over the, the you know, the, um, uh, the specified width, then they are illegal and everybody's happy. But I just think, you know, Williams that year, they were a very strong. Juan Pablo Montoya was driving like a demon, as was Ralph Schumacher. And I just remember, you know, qualifying in those days was an hour qualifying. It wasn't split up into three sessions. It was pretty boring for the first uh, 40 to 45 minutes, no doubt. And I can understand why TV broadcasters were saying, look, there's nothing, un there's no track action. There's nothing happening. We need to sort of do something. But that last 25, you know, 15, 20, 20 minutes I always found was the most exciting and it was like what we had at Monza where you've got everybody out there at the same time bustling trying to be the last person across the line to take advantage of the conditions you know the sticky the, the stickier grippier track 
that to me, and I really liked what happened at Monza qualifying because you've got this. I mean, even last year, even though you know there was a lot of criticism about it, uh, where drivers didn't actually make it across the start finishing line to get their laps done, and this year there was the problem of cars slowing down, and, and that that is dangerous. That needs to be looked at. But overall, that that rush at the end to be able to get everybody and everybody wanting to get the, use the best of the conditions, and if you leave it too late, you know you get caught in traffic. Well, too bad. You know that's the risk you take if you don't want to take that risk. You come out a little bit earlier. I, I just think that was fantastic. And, and and as I say, I just remember in that last 10 minutes of qualifying back in the, in those days, it was ultra exciting because you just we just knew that either Ralph Schumacher or Juan Pablo Montoya would pull out an incredible lap to be challenging those Ferraris. More often than not, that happened. Um, and it was absolutely brilliant times. But I, I really feel that Williams, they deserved that championship in 2003 i know ferrari fans aren't going to like that and uh, i there's been a lot of negativity on this little podcast in the last three uh episodes um about ferrari and, and i don't I mean i i think i love ferrari that in fact they were sort of before i really got involved in f1 i had a soft spot for them because of my italian name and heritage um but uh it, it's not about that it's not like I, I i hate ferrari but i just think it though at that point I don't think that was particularly fair, and I really felt that um, that Williams, you know, that was their championship uh, for 2003. But anyway, they are just my recollections, <clears throat> pardon me, from that year. And I certainly do remember at the end of that season, 2003, the Japanese Grand Prix, uh, there was always um, a big party for everybody in the paddock. There was a, a place called the Log Cabins, which was on site at Suzuka. It was a bar, and there was a. it was called the Log Cabins because... And there were six log cabins outside of this um, this bar. It was just a um, an isolated sort of uh, house or building, sort of very Japanesey in its design, obviously. But uh, there were log cabins outside that were karaoke sheds, if you like, all made of wood. And um, the drivers would hire all that area. You had to have a fom pass to get in, and it was just all the F1 paddock. And uh, once everybody packed up on Sunday night, we'd all go down there and uh, have a you know fantastic old celebration of the the final race of the season. <clears throat> but I, I, I remember, and it's probably one of my biggest memories, was um, being in one of these karaoke shacks. And sorry, I'm going to drop names here, but um, I just happened to be in the same one as Rubens Barrichello, I think Mario Tyson, who was in charge of BMW in those days. Uh, and some others, I can't remember who else was in there. That indicates the level of, um, um, or the, 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 the <laughs> uh, what's the best way of saying this, uh, where um, my memory is at. Uh, but anyway, I'd certainly remember this, is that a man walked through the door with a handful of beers and we're all standing on the, on the front. These sort of log cabins are quite small. And he was handing out beers and he thrust one at me and, and it was Michael Schumacher. And he said, hey, have a beer, you want a beer? And I'm like, Absolutely. Thank you very much, Michael. So there we go. That's um, you know, my claim to fame, so to speak. But they were great days. And it's just a shame we don't do that anymore. You know, they used to have the Red Bull parties at the end of the season, which were great. But you know, to have a, a party where everybody, it's, it's, it's not one team's party. It was just everybody would get together at the log cabins. You had to have that FOM pass to get in. And it was absolutely brilliant to let your hair down after, you know, a whole eight, nine months of being on the road, everybody got together. It didn't matter what team you were from. Everybody was having a laugh. I remember another great, uh, so just thinking about this, I remember another situation involving Kimi Räikkönen, which I probably shouldn't say. Um, but, you know, it, it really was just a fantastic time and, uh, and a great way to end the season. It's just a shame that that sort of um, 
uh, doesn't really happen now. It's it sort of everybody, every team goes into their own little groups to have their own team party. Uh, but anyway, there we go. That's uh, my memories from uh, 2003 season. But again, you know, on the back of the, uh, the the announcement this week that Frank and Claire no longer in charge of the Williams team from this point forward. It's, uh, they're going to be missed in F1. And uh, there's a lot of people who would say a very big thank you and they're going to miss you. Okay, so the Italian Grand Prix, it was anything but a snorefest uh, by the end of it, although it uh, did need something special, didn't it, in the end, to make it come alive. It was otherwise just going to be a straight run to the flag for Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Although the good news is that uh, someone is now, uh, along with Red Bull, starting to challenge at least Bottas's Mercedes. It was a great start from Carlos Sainz, wasn't it, Uh, in the first race start. Of course, we had two across the weekend, or two across the day, I should say, um, and they have uh, really come alive. You think about next year when McLaren will have that Mercedes engine. Okay, they're going to do their own gearbox, but they'll have the Mercedes engine. That is going to be rather concerning for Red Bull, and we're going to cover that in just a second. But why did we have the race we had? Well, two reasons. Firstly, Magnussen's car coming to a stop near the pit lane entry, uh, but the gap in the fence there wasn't wide enough to fit the car. So that's the reason why they had to push it into the pit lane, and that's why the pit lane closed. The safety car came out. And then, of course, the big thing was that Hamilton and Mercedes missed the signal that the pit lane was closed. And I can sort of understand how that could happen. There's uh, on the left-hand side of the circuit, as you come around the right-handed parabolica, and of course, that's where your, your, your line of vision is on the outside. But I think they maybe need to look at some sort of um, lights on the inside or even maybe a gantry over the top of the pit lane entry somewhere uh, with lights big enough that they can be seen from sort of a, a fair distance away because I can understand how they missed that. Um, although... It is on the timing pages, so the data pages that all the teams get uh, in their garages. And I think Toto Wolf said that. He said, you know, there's just in all the uh, kerfuffle that was going on about coming in for a pit stop, they just didn't notice it. And I think he said that someone back at Brackley, um, they, uh, they'd they actually yelled it down into the radio. But by that point, Hamilton was in the pit lane. But look, that's the way it goes. And, you know, Lewis, you could see he was pretty upset initially, went and saw the stewards when the race uh, was red flagged eventually because of Leclerc's crash. Um, but I think once it was explained, it's, you know, there's nothing you can do. And, and, you know, fair play to him. He just uh, took it on the chin, got back out there, didn't he? And, um, you know, nearly caught up to his teammate. You know, Lewis started at the back of the field pretty much after the first lap, after the re, uh, restart, after the uh, red uh, red flag. And um, by the time the checkered flag, he was in eighth. And I think, uh, what was it? Bottas was ended up in fifth place. You know, it's incredible difference in those two drivers, isn't there, when they're uh, when they're on it. Uh, Bottas is no doubt a, a, a great driver, but he's uh, no Lewis Hamilton, that's for sure. But anyway, um, that was sort of one of the reasons. And of course, uh, Charles Leclerc had his big accident. That was a little bit of a worrying moment as well. It took him a while to get that barrier back in place. The clock continued to tick down, as we know, 53 laps of Monza. But in the end, we got the full 53 laps. And uh, it was a, a second race restart where... Um, it was led away by Gasly. And uh, yeah, you don't begrudge the guy. He has had a uh, a pretty torrid old time since he came into F1. Or maybe, let's say, since the beginning of 2019. His 2018 season at Toro Rosso was fine. It was uh, stock standard. He did a good job. And then, of course, with Daniel Ricciardo dropping the bomb later in 2018 that he was off to Renault, 
it left him as the only real viable option. And they, at that point, if you think back, you know, Red Bull were, what what, what, the, what do they do? They, they just didn't feel they had someone ready to go into that top team. So Gasly, after just one year in F1, was put into it. And of course, we know what happened. He didn't handle that particularly well. Um, didn't drive the car well. He couldn't get to grips with that, you know, up against Max Verstappen, who's such a, a dominant force within the garage as well as out on the circuit. Uh, and uh, Gasly, of course, in the end, was demoted back to Toro Rosso. Albon, who'd only just been parachuted in from another another series anyway, um, had uh, got the gig. And of course, he did a great job. Would have got on the podium in his first season as well at uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix last year if it uh, wasn't for Lewis Hamilton, unfortunately, uh, coming together there at the Interlagos circuit. But um, this year... It's the roles that have been reversed, isn't it? Uh, Gasly's been driving the wheels off that Alfa Tori, and he's uh, certainly been better than his teammate. If you look at the stats between Kvyat and um, and Pierre Gasly, I mean, obviously now Gasly's got the uh, one race win, uh, no race win at all for Danny Kvyat, and I can't see that happening. But 43 points for Gasly, four points for Daniel Kvyat. Kvyat is a much more experienced driver. The average finish position is 8 to 10 and uh, the average grid position is about you know 9 to 14. So it just shows you how well Gasly is driving. So I certainly don't begrudge Pierre Gasly that uh, he uh, got that race win and that he did as well. Although, you know, he did luck into it. It's, let's, let's be honest, he did luck into it because he was sort of being pitted so that he can move out of the way of the longer running on hard compound tyres, Daniel Kvyat. So Gasly came in, of course, before we had that safety car. And uh, so he obviously at that at that point was leading the race, and we then had the red flag. He got a free tire change, and uh, which he took a complete advantage to and of. And I, and I think you know I'm going to talk about this shortly with you know Lando Norris coming out and being a little bit critical about that uh, uh, that regulation. But um, Gasly got another free set of tires with that free pit stop, and of course you know he was able to see off Carlos Sainz and to win the to win the race but um again I don't begrudge the guy I think he has been the best driver of the season yet Hamilton has near perfect races uh, but Hamilton's in also the near perfect car as well and a near perfect situation Gasly's in anything you know far from that so I think well done Pierre Gasly congratulations of course it was a good result as well for McLaren getting a P2 Carlos Sainz finally standing on top of the podium even though he got a podium last year in Brazil well done to him and the team you think as I say they're going to have Mercedes power next year that's going to be a concern for Red Bull surely when they've only got at the moment one driver scoring points and that is of course Max Verstappen although he was a DNF this time round but Albon you know didn't even get into the points did he you know, he finished off, what, down in 15th. And okay, there's circumstances, but he is just not getting to grips at all with that Red Bull. And again, it's almost a repeat of Gasly, where he's mentally just not coping with what's going on in that garage. And it's got to be tough up coming up against Max Verstappen. Surely very, very tough. But at the moment, they're lucky. They don't have anybody pushing them for second place. There's no Ferrari this year. There was last year. And it worked okay because Albon was scoring points along with Verstappen. This year, that's not happening. But next year, 2021, if McLaren do as well as what everybody's thinking they could possibly do, particularly with a Mercedes engine in it, that'll be worrying for Red Bull. And what do they do? Do they bring Gasly back up? I think they've got to. I think they're going to have a, a, a spare seat at Alpha Tori. I can't see Daniel Kvyat hanging around. I mean, if he gets done by Gasly once again, unless you know there's no one else to put into that seat. But you know, I think Albon would come back give him another year at the AlphaTauri 
Um, you know, it's just the way it goes, if not maybe even beforehand. You know, Dr. Helmut Marko, they must be looking at this thinking, do we continue to give him a bit of time because, like, and I'm talking about Albon, give him a bit of time because we do have that gap to the third-placed McLaren, so we don't have to react and panic too much like they did last year, no doubt, with the, the, the battle that they had for second with Ferrari. But this year, it's all different. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Don't be surprised if Gasly does get the, uh, the lift up into the Red Bull team. Um, but uh, yeah, good. You know, a great uh, result also for Lance Stroll. Of course, racing point. You know, was it clever or was it just luck? They kept Stroll out to keep track position, or were they keeping their options open because they pitted Perez? And remember, and Perez had a another horrible start from P4. He's about nineteenth best for starts this year. You know, he's not had some good starts, uh, lots of them, in fact. So, um, you know, uh, he knew that, that, that Norris had a, a good chance at the race start. Stroll continues to impress. You think, do they really need Vettel? Apart from the fact that you need someone to market, I think Aston Martin with a four-time world champion, I think that is a great marketing move. But on the track, do they really need Sebastian Vettel? Stroll is doing really well. He's certainly, he's, um, uh, you know, proved me wrong. I was thinking four weeks ago, five weeks ago, yep, bring in uh, Sebastian Vettel. Okay, his dad owns the team, but I think Lance Stroll, they maybe need to find someone uh, find some place for him elsewhere on the grid. But at the moment, he's uh, out doing Checo, isn't he? And that uh, takes some doing because Checo, once he gets the bit between his teeth, yeah, he's uh, a decent old driver. But anyway, it was a good uh, good result for Racing Point as well, although uh, they were almost standing still in that high-speed uh, that high speed circuit of Monza uh, compared to Carlos Sainz. They went uh, whizzing past them. And, of course, that's that very tight battle in the in the midfield between Racing Point, Renault, and of course it's being headed by McLaren and they've now opened up a little bit of a gap now over the pink Mercedes team. Um, it's interesting, the deg on the tyres was really low this year. In fact, there was very little between the deg on the medium and the hard. And of course, there was about three, four tenths of a second uh, pace-wise difference and the medium uh, the medium over the hard compound. And that's the reason why this year everybody jumped onto the medium. Just shows you how uh, the cars are developing and how everybody's really concentrating on, on looking after the tyres uh, but keeping performance. Because last year, everybody went from um, their start tyre, those in the top 10, and went across to that hard compound for the long run for 30 laps but uh, and okay look you know we had a a few laps under the safety car uh, but either way that medium tire that everybody bolted on at lap 26 was able to see out the best part of uh, 28 to 30 laps uh, to uh, to the checkered flag so it was uh, I, I thought everybody would have gone onto the hard compound that was my prediction um, prior to uh, the start of the race on Sunday but anyway and of course uh, what a horrible race once again for uh, uh, for Ferrari, uh, Sebastian Vettel, the first retirement of the race. Then Leclerc gets that tank slapper on on cold tyres, brought out the red flag. Um, you know, I said it at the last podcast, you know, no fans in the stands, a blessing for Ferrari at their home Grand Prix. Of course, it was race 999 for them. And uh, that uh, emergency number hasn't been lost on some fans. <laughs> They've got their thousandth Grand Prix coming up at uh, the Tuscan Grand Prix at Mugello. And of course, they're the only team who've got data on Mugello. We'll talk about Mugello a little bit later on. Uh, but yeah, there we go. I mean, look, some other notables. Daniel Ricciardo will be disappointed with sixth, I think. Valtteri Bottas should be disappointed with fifth. And, you know, really his result isn't because of any safety car. He was behind the eight ball right from the off. 
Um, and you got to say, a strong race from Carlos Sainz, strong qualifying. Lando Norris did well in P4, a big 30 points, which is a big fillip for the McLaren team, particularly where they've come from since 2015 and running the Honda engines for three years. And, you know, that, you know, as we know, it wasn't necessarily Honda's fault either. Um, it was really down to the, the performance of the car more than anything, and also how um, I think McLaren were trying to, were asking. Honda to package that engine. It obviously just wasn't working, but that's the way they wanted it. Uh, either way, that's all now over, and Mercedes will be supplying McLaren next year. But uh, Esteban Ocon, there's still a decent old gap between himself and Daniel Ricciardo. Lewis Hamilton finished up in seventh, just two places behind his teammate. Uh, good result for Williams as well. Uh, 11th, wouldn't it have been lovely for them to have at least got into the points at the final race that Claire and Sir Frank uh, were in charge, and a really emotional day. It was great to see that they, um, you know, Claire uh, acted as chief mechanic and saw uh, Latifi out into the pit lane. There was variously she started up one of the cars as well. Um, it was great to see. I, look, I worked with them from 2001 to 2012, and they are um, uh, and they're fantastic people. They're real out and out racers out at Grove. They're lovely people, and there's always a place in my heart for the Williams team, and it would be great to see them much further up the grid. But uh, yeah, at least the at least the name of Williams is staying in F1. That I think is critical. If you know, if they can't be in charge, and remember they are the you know they were the only family-run team. You know, 1977 is when Frank founded the team. They've won seven drivers' titles. They've won nine constructors' titles. The names of Mance or Prost, Senna, they brought so many big names through. Adrian Newey started his time uh, and started his F1 career at Williams, as did Paddy Lowe, Jeff Willis, you know, all these names that are sort of so synonymous with engineering in F1. And then the likes of Button, Rosberg, Coulthard, Juan Pablo Montoya, you know, there's such big names in the sport. So they've all come through Williams and they are, uh, uh, they're going to be sorely missed, I think, Sir Frank. He uh, called a spade a spade and he was very determined. And when you think about the fact that he, you know, he's the oldest living quadriplegic, and that happened back in the mid '80s. He had that accident in a, in, a, in a car coming back from the track. I think Peter Windsor was the team manager at the time. Uh, he was on board. Peter was lucky to escape uninjured, uh, or sort of with minor injuries at least. But Sir Frank became a quad, but it didn't stop them winning all those uh, constructors' titles and drivers' titles. It's just fantastic determination from an incredible man and really uh, an incredible family as well. So uh, yeah, a sad and emotional day, but as I said, at least the name is staying in the sport. But uh, yeah, look, there we go. I think they're pretty much all the notes that I had um, for uh, for what happened on the weekend. Of course, the other, some other stories that broke over the weekend, uh, everyone is withdrawing their protests over the racing point. So McLaren, Renault, Ferrari, Williams um, and Racing Point have withdrawn their appeal uh, about their penalty, so they're copying that on the chin, and then no doubt um, on the back of the other teams withdrawing their protests, and you know the FIA tightening up the rules as well, which I think you know it's all good. It's and we're glad it hasn't gone to you know the court any any further into the court system. We want to keep F1 out of that sort of uh, PR, but of course 2021 would be difficult for Racing Point anyway to be able to copy because you know everybody's got to come up with their own design. So this was only ever, I suppose, a, a short-term fix. Uh, maybe to save resources and money that they can then direct to the 2021 car. Anyway, uh, it's good to hear that that's been put to bed and it's now off the front pages or back pages and we're concentrating on uh, the racing and, and, and other issues, which is good. But um, yeah, just to reiterate, I, I think uh, 
uh, you know, F1 need or the FIA and, and Michael Massey need to look at uh, maybe that pit lane entry just because, I, I, you know, no, it wasn't unfair that Hamilton got the penalty, but really difficult, particularly at that circuit where your focus is on the outside and that's the reason and that's where those uh, those pit lane X's are, those lights uh, are, but maybe a bigger gantry over the pit lane entry that the drivers can see from a bit further away. And the, the only downside to that or you know, danger to that is that if a driver doesn't see the first ones, um, the first lights on the outside of the circuit and they then see the ones on the gantry, they decide to last, <clears throat> pardon me, last minute duck back out onto the racetrack uh, if that's onto the well, very close to the racing line, that could be rather dangerous. So maybe they're saying, well, if you haven't seen them by then, it's sort of pretty much too late. And that's what happened with Hamilton. But anyway, um, that was the Italian Grand Prix. It was potentially going to be, um, uh, you know, a lay down Mazir once again for Lewis Hamilton, everybody wanting to keep away from the DRS trains. And it's one of the big problems with Monza, isn't it? Is that, yes, you can overtake down into turn one. You've got two DRS zones down to Ascari. You can also late break and, uh, and, and get past at turn, you know, four and five down that way. But um, the problem is that you then get stuck in a DRS train where the man you're trying to overtake is using his DRS to overtake the guy in front, but he's never sort of quite quick enough to do it. And so you never actually get past. And it's the reason why uh, you know, Monza can actually end up being a bit of a, a bit of a snore fest because of that. But anyway, we didn't get that. We had a fantastic race, race of the season almost so far, but there's <clears throat> been plenty of good ones. Uh, but at the moment, Monza, it was a great race. So there we go. That is episode three of the Pitbox podcast. Any feedback, you can do so on email, pitboxpodcast at gmail.com or Twitter handle at pitboxpodcast. This weekend, the 1,000th race for the Scuderia. Congratulations. Well done. Special livery for them. And also, I forgot to mention late last week that uh, Renault have announced that they will be rebranded as Alpine Racing as of next year. Same colours as what Fernando Alonso raced, or similar anyway, in 2005-2006 when he was with them and he won his championship. Interesting. He's joining the team next year. Anyway, hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the first ever Tuscan Grand Prix. <laughs>